Welcome back to Body Talk with Bex. This week, I have the pleasure of interviewing Crystal. She had breast cancer at a very young age and has battled with it all her life. She's turned into an incredible woman with beautiful children and amazingly is a COO of the Pink Warrior Advocates in Texas. And this is just such a wonderful interview. So let's just jump right on in. know anything about what your journey was other than that you had cancer so I'm gonna let you take the lead for a little bit here and just maybe start at the beginning okay well I'm Crystal so I was about I was almost three years old my parents said that they this is all going off of what I've been told I will say my first memories started at about three or four during this process because it was about a two-year process but basically from what I understand My mom and dad said I was really having trouble breathing at home. So they took me in. And the night that they took me in, they did a scan and an x-ray. And there was just this massive tumor crushing my chest, like pushing down on my lungs. So at that point, it was very, very shaky. My mom told me the docs basically said that I had 24 hours to kind of like pull through. They weren't sure just because of how large the tumor was, if I was going to make it. I was diagnosed with acute lymphoblastic lymphoma, which is actually a pretty common childhood cancer. So I started treatment almost immediately. I did radiation and chemo. And the next couple of years, uh, it was basically that. I had radiation treatment, chemo treatment. My hair fell out twice. My first memories are (laughs) like getting spinal taps and being, being around like other sick children. And it really didn't seem out of the ordinary, I guess, because you're a kid. But yeah, it, 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 it's so weird looking back because I almost feel like that was just like almost like a movie in my life. Like it was part of it. And I know it definitely had a role to play in who I am as a person my entire life. Like I always felt like since then I've just lived life to the fullest and I've kind of like done the things I wanted to do. And I always felt like there was a purpose for me here but yeah, it, it was two years of that. And then I remember at the age of five, I got a really big party, my last chemo treatment. And I finally had a little bit of hair grown back. It was spiky. And they told me you've got seven years of remission and then, you know, you're, you're done. Then you're basically cancer free. So seven years went by. I, I always have had a sense of humor. That's my favorite coping mechanism is being funny. So they, they had told me some things like, and again, I'm going from like a childhood. Now, mind you, I'm, I just turned 37 yesterday. So this is what, this is over 30 years ago. A lot has changed in the medical field and how they do things. So I was basically told they weren't sure if I could have a menstrual cycle. They weren't sure if I could have children. 
And there might be some other things that come along with it. And I'd need to follow up with an oncologist uh, probably the rest of my life. And so I was like, okay, you know, and at that time, my dad was military, moved around a lot. So like we had really good insurance. It wasn't an issue for me to see a doc. So I did. I saw a doctor every year for it. I had a menstrual cycle start. I, you know, I was a really healthy, active person. I played soccer competitively. So nothing seemed to really be affected by my treatments anyway, or my disease, I would say the only thing that seemed to happen is I would get upper respiratory infections a lot. I did have some scarring on my lungs. I still do. Like whenever I get x-rays and things, or they listen, they auscultate my lungs. Sometimes they're like, Hey, you sound a little funky. And I'm like, yeah, that's pretty normal on par for what, what's up with, <laughs> you know, I had ca cancer, no big deal. So yeah. And then I did notice though, when I started finally, I was kind of a late bloomer anyway. I wasn't ever big chested, but I did notice that when I went into high school, I started, ha I had literally no growth on one side. On my right side, I was just flat. And then on my left, I had a small, smaller breast, like a maybe a small B. And so I talked to my parents about it because I was just like pretty... I was like, what is this? What's going on here? And we saw a doc and they're like, hey, you, it's probably the radiation that caused mm -hmm. that. And I'm like, okay. And again, coping mechanism. I played sports, so I'm constantly getting changed in front of other young girls, very insecure about it. But I used to call myself Biggie Smalls to like, you know, just make fun of it or like one chest, one breast just to be silly. And yeah, I had, again, I had insurance. So I was actually able to get reconstruction at that point at 17 years old. I was able to get an implant on one side and the doc basically decided to just do one because he's like, I, well, if you have more growth on the other side, we can always change it or go back and, and change it. And I said, okay, you know, no big deal. And so I became an adult and at 24 is when things kind of changed. I didn't, I, when I, when I was 18, 19, again, I, I was covered under my parents and then I didn't have insurance for a couple of years. And then I uh, finally had good insurance again, around 22, 23. I went into an oncologist because I knew I had been a couple of years without seeing one. And we're talking a really good hospital, like a university hospital. Mm -hmm. And the oncologist sat me down. We did like, you know, everything again, scans, blood work, all of that. And he told me, you have just as much risk as anyone else of getting cancer again. I don't think you need to follow up with an oncologist anymore. And so I'm thinking like, this is a doctor. Okay. He knows what he's talking about as most people do. And so I just stopped going to an oncologist and I didn't know at that point, again, the kids thing was still up in the air. Still wasn't sure if that was going to ever happen for me. Didn't know what else was going to come of the childhood cancer and the different treatments that I had. But I took this man's word and I said, okay. And yeah, 32 years old, I found a lump in my real breast because I still had that implant. And I had actually went and tried to change it out at one point and my insurance wouldn't cover it at that time. And so that was a whole nother thing, but I went and got it checked and sure enough, and the weird thing was, like, I knew, I knew it was cancer. As soon as I found the lump, I knew it was cancer. I had just finished nursing school at that point. That was the other thing. Whenever I was a kid, I had really great professional care. 
But then I also had really awful experiences with a few nurses. And I just thought, I want to be someone that is the good one. I want to be a nurse. And and, uh, when I was a kid, I thought, okay, like I'll work with kids that had cancer. You know, that was my, that was kind of where I wanted to go with my life. But then I actually, plot twist, I actually had uh, two children. So I was able to have kids and they're amazing. And I'm so glad I, I ended up having them because they were motivation through for what I had to go through as an adult. But yeah, I, I ended up having two kiddos and found this lump. I had just finished nursing school, just had started a job as a nurse and my kids were one in five and I followed up mm-hmm. and, uh, I knew something was wrong. They wanted to first do a mammogram. Then I had to get like a secondary level mammogram. Then they wanted me to biopsy. And when I went into biopsy, I was like, man, I I know it's cancer. Like I know it's cancer. And at this specific place I go in, they're very breast cancer conscious. Everything is pink. They have these roses and they had never offered me one before. And when I went to leave, first of all, I could tell by the radiologist's behavior, something was wrong. And they're like, all right, you know, here's a rose. And I'm like, I don't want your rose. And in my head, I was like, if you give me this rose, it means I have cancer and I don't want it. Like, don't give me your damn rose. And uh, she kind of forced the rose upon me. And as I left, I just started sobbing because I was like, it's cancer. I know it's cancer. And um, I walked out and it was just one of those things where, and I was, I was in a really bad place. Like I, I was going through a really bad divorce from the kid's dad. It was a very toxic relationship. Like a lo- everything, nothing ever happens. You know, I don't know if you've ever noticed, but it's like several things all want to go bad at one time. And it was yes. kind of <laughs> the perfect storm situation. So I left and I got a call with my kids in the car actually. And they said, can you talk? It was first thing in the morning. It was my uh, OBGYN's office. And I said, yeah, I can talk. And I pulled the car over and took them off a of Bluetooth because I didn't want my kids to hear. And before she said anything, I just said, I have cancer, don't I? And she said, yes, I'm so sorry. How did you, how did you know? And I was like, I just, I just knew these people were incredible. They, they got me into a, a breast surgeon that day. Like they said, he'll be in surgery all day wow. long, but he will see you. And I drove down, this man is a God among men. Like I've never met anyone like him. He had already, I don't know how, but like he had already had a chance to look at my history and all of my like treatments and all that. He walks into the room with this medical paperwork that basically is like, you know how they do different studies. And this one was like a study based on childhood radiation to the chest. Mm -hmm. The paper that he gave me, he goes, I personally want to apologize on the behalf of all doctors and anyone that let you slip through the cracks. And he gave me the paper and it told me basically that I had a 37% chance of having breast cancer within my lifetime and within specifically about 30 years of my life. And the percentages kind of go up and I'm just like, wow. I, I mean, it was shocking and just, I I don't know how, how else to explain it, except for you're kind of in like a tunnel for a while. Like you, you don't know what to do. You feel lost. And until you have a game plan of how you're going to fix quote unquote that issue. And of course, everyone, I, I, I haven't met one person so far that has been diagnosed with cancer and doesn't immediately think I'm going to die. Like that's your, that's your first reaction to this. It's not like, even as a medical professional, even as a nurse, I'm not, I was like, Oh my God, my kids, like I'm going to die. And 
everything went super fast after that. Like he gave me my options, laid them out. I had the option of just getting the one side removed, but for me, I had both sides radiated. So I was like, I don't want to come back in two or three years or have that in the back of my head that I didn't just remove both breasts. And so at 32 years old, fresh into a divorce with two kids, I underwent a double mastectomy, nipple sparing. And I'm saying that because a lot of people don't know how far people have come, but like that is possible to be able to keep your nipples depending on the size of the tumor and the distance of it from your nipple. So that is possible. There are a lot of options out there. And again, the doc gave me one, but ultimately it was my decision to go with the double mastectomy. And so I went ahead and picked because there are a couple of different uh, options as far as reconstruction as well. You could do like a deep flap, which they basically take your tummy fat and can move it up to your breasts. And for some people who have like issues, like especially autoimmune disorders, that's usually a better bet for them just because your body tends to attack, like, especially with you have an autoimmune issue, they'll tend to attack like the anything that's foreign put back in your body. Mm -hmm. So but I was a young, younger person, it they did tell me, I didn't have enough fat in my tummy at that point. So they would have had to put mesh in and I was I asked about how it would change my active like life. And they said, it would change it quite a bit. And I was just like, that's not for me, then I'll, I'll keep my, uh, my little mom pooch. I'm fine with it. Let's just <laughs> take the cancer boobs off and put non cancer boobs on. That's what I wanted. So I uh, had expander six months later, I'm sitting on the couch, I just had my implants placed, I finally felt like, all right, life's gonna start. But here's, here's where I messed up. Didn't follow up with an oncologist. I was a really bad nurse and patient at that point because I wasn't <laughs> advocating for myself. If you are doing that, slap on the wrist. Don't do that. I did that. Don't learn from me. That was a really bad thing to do. But my doctor, again, the surgeon, this incredible surgeon, his name was Dr. Vish. I'll never forget him. He called me and he's like, what are you doing? I said, I'm sitting on the couch. What are you doing? And he's like, did you ever follow up on your tumor to get it tested? And I said, no. In my head, all I heard was my margins were clear and they got it all. So I just wanted to go back to work. I, I was a single mom at that point trying to support my family. And I didn't want to like be out more than I already had at this brand new job. And uh, he's like, no, I'm sending it out now. You need to follow up. So three weeks later, they call me in. I said, what does it mean if the tumor comes back? Like, wh what, what exactly does that mean? Because that's the other thing, just because you're a medical professional, cancers are all different. Breast cancer specifically has so many different types. There's a lot of different, they're genetic, non-genetic, they're hormone driven. There's all these different things. So like you can know about one type of thing or a general base, but I had no knowledge of like, or minimal knowledge of breast cancer. So I didn't know how this all worked at the time. And so he just said, if it comes back out over this number, you're going to have to do chemotherapy. And so once again, I'm like, I'm going to have, I'm going to have to do chemo. There's no way my luck. That's just how it works. And especially because I already had childhood cancer. I just, I'm not a, I'm very much not a glass half full or a glass half empty. I just have a glass. Like that's kind of how I've looked at it. Truly. Like <laughs> I just got a glass and I think about worst case scenarios because here's the thing. If I can accept the worst, then it only gets better if it's not that. But like, if I just accepted chemo is happening, then if it happened, it wasn't going to break me because that's the difference. If I stayed overly positive, it would have broken me and everyone has their own way of doing it. I don't knock people that can keep that. In fact, I envy a lot of people that have and admire them that just have this 
grace about them that they know everything's going to be all right. That wasn't me though. Like I was like, no, I'm going to end up with chemo. I have these new boobs. I'm finally like out of this horrible divorce thing. Like I'm going to, my life's starting now. Like I'm okay. And sure enough, came back, had to do chemo for six months. Um, so I did the red devil is what it's called or AC and the name definitely lives up to it. It, it was hell on earth. It, it's only technically four rounds, but you can only do it like every other week because of how bad it is. And it was, it was rough. I, I was grateful and blessed with the amount of help that I had. I had a lot of family and friends rally for me. And actually right before I started chemo, my sister, Maddie, and one of my best friends, Sarah, in 10 days, they literally threw together this event because here's the other thing, even though you're, I was a nurse, even though I had good health insurance, chemo treatment and all that, that's, that's still expensive as hell. Mm -hmm. I, and they told me out of pocket, my quote was $8,000 and you, yeah. And just so people know, you have to pay that in advance. You don't, if you don't pay it, they won't treat you. So if you have to have chemo, especially if you have an aggressive cancer and you're not getting it because you can't pay you, your, your cancer can spread and you can die like this. And again, like though I work in the healthcare system, there's a lot of flaws and I realize them more and more as I had to be a patient again mm -hmm. for the second time in my life. So I, 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 at this event, they threw it to help me raise money for that. And they raised $8,000 for me. I shaved my head in front of a bunch of friends and even we called it breast fest. I, it, there was strangers there too, cause it was at my sister's bar that she worked at. But I just like gave this big speech, had hair down to my ass. I finally had it like the color done just right. And I was like, you know, cancer gets to take everything else right now, but this is the one thing I get to decide to do when I want to do it. And so that was why I did it. It gave me that little sense of control in an uncontrollable situation. And I'm not going to lie. I was actually kind of digging the whole short hair GI Jane feel like it was, <laughs> I got compliment, so many compliments and I was shocked that, it, you know, and then people come up and they're like, Oh, you look so good bald. And I'm like, you know, you, you know, I, I wouldn't have known not, I really didn't, like wasn't planned <laughs> again. That was kind of where my humor came in and started chemo a few days after that. I had already actually had my port placed and, uh, I was supposed to start it before the event. Thank God it didn't happen. Cause I felt like horseshit right after. So, um, yeah. And I, I tried to work full time because I, I felt like I needed to, and that's where, that's where I think the difference comes in when I start comparing the two, like as a kid going through that, you don't feel a lot of pity for yourself. You just feel sick and then you get up and you keep going and you're like, Oh, I feel sick right now, but like, I want to play, you know, you don't worry about the future or your children because that's not what you're, you just are living in the moment. And, um, you're not necessarily even as scared. You might be scared of like, I was scared to get my port placed when I was little and I was scared to have obviously like any needle poked in me or any of that but like it's totally different ball game mm -hmm. when you're an adult and so I went through a lot of things as an adult that I didn't ever expect to have to go through or and I look back and I also a lot of I, I had a lot more respect for my parents who had to be with a child my mom was only like 21 years old when I was diagnosed she was a very young mom with another kid and I'm, I'm looking at my kids like I would take this a thousand more times before I would ever 
have to watch my children go through this. Mm -hmm. Like I cannot imagine that. And so, but I did my six months, I did that. And then I did something called Taxol, which was a lot, a lot more mild in comparison. But I mean, you go from like hell on earth to, uh, (laughs) something not quite as, it's not quite as awful. (laughs) And at that point, I was able, I I went to like part-time at my job. They worked with me. And then I, after I started tax all, it took a few more weeks for me to kind of get, I feel like get the red devil out of my system. And then I started to feel like I could work more. And it was actually during that time um, at my event, when I shaved my head, I got this card. And at that point I had not met anyone like as young as me that had breast cancer. You know, you hear about it or you see it on like Facebook or these different Mm -hmm. things, but like I'm 32 years old now at that point, I had just turned 33 and I'm like, nobody gets this. I feel like all of your friends and family love you and support you, but like, they don't know what to do for you. They just want to tell you it's going to be okay. And you're like, I'm so far from okay right now. I like, that's not what I want to hear. And in fairness, on the other side, I can't imagine what that's like either. Like I, I, I can now because I've met friends that have had different illnesses, but because whenever you've gone through something that is like that, you have more empathy and understanding versus sympathy or pity. You know, you don't, cause nobody wants to be pitied. And that was why, like when I shaved my head, when I was going through chemo, when my lashes and everything fell out, like that was why I made such an effort. Like I would draw my freaking eyebrows on every day. I put on fake lashes. I try to look like, like a badass, even though I felt like dying inside. Like I really felt like I had been hit by a train and, or just run a marathon. Like I've never felt that kind of like exhaustion and pain in my body before. And, you know, so I get this card at this event. And this woman was named Jen Reynolds. And I live in, in, in Texas in a, in a town that is a pretty, it's a pretty tight knit community. And, uh, she gave me her, or someone gave me her card. And the next day I called her and I was just, I didn't even know what I was looking for. Honestly, I was just like, somebody told me to call her. So I'm going to call her. (laughs) So there was this, and she was part of this nonprofit pink warrior advocates. It said, you know, founder. And I'm like, okay, so I'm expecting like some random person to answer the phone, not her. And she answers the phone and she's like, Hey, you know, and I said, hi, my name is Crystal. I I don't really know what to do. I'm just calling you. And she's like, tell me about yourself. And like in the midst of her asking, she dropped something. I heard a dog bark and she's like, Oh shit. And I was like, Oh my God, it's a human. Like this is a real (laughs) person on the other line. This isn't some like hoity toity high, you know, like high up there corporate person. Like I, I can talk to her and she heard my story and she's like, I want to meet you for lunch tomorrow. And I, I I was blown away that this person that didn't even know me wanted to meet me. So I was like, okay, for sure. I go and meet her for lunch. She was just growing back her hair. I found out that she had been diagnosed in her early thirties. I found out that she was in at that point had just been re-diagnosed with stage four breast cancer, which means, yeah, which means it is incurable. She will live the rest of her life with it. She will have treatment for the rest of her life. And she was 30. She was five years out, which is your golden year for cancer. So like after five years, your risk is a lot lower to have a reoccurrence. She found out at her five year mark. And she actually found out because she was having trouble walking. Like her back was hurting her really bad. 
come to find out it had metastasized into her liver and her back and her Ooh. spine. And so actually a couple of her vertebrae collapsed on themselves and she ended up in a wheelchair for months. Wow. So, yeah. And so the way that she told her story to me though, and the way that she lived her life, I was like, whatever this is that you have going on, I need it right now. I was in this dark, dark hole. Like nobody would know on the outside because I did a really good job of pretending I was okay. Like I didn't want to be a burden to anyone. I had two kids I needed to still take care of, but like I was, I was at the bottom. Like I couldn't see the light. I felt sick all the time. I felt awful. I didn't feel like me. Every time I woke up, I didn't know who I was looking in the mirror. Like you see yourself and you think you'd get used to seeing yourself looking like, again, my humor. Like I felt like I looked like a testicle, just like no <laughs> facial features, bald, like cancer bald. And the shittiest part is I didn't even technically have cancer anymore. But when you're going through chemo, you feel horrendous and people, everyone sees it. Then it's visible. Mm -hmm. Your cancer, you're wearing it, you know? And she has hair. She had just dyed it like this crispy white, like ice white blonde color. And I just said, I want to volunteer. Like what, whatever you have going on next, I want to volunteer. And she's like, sure. So she gives me your information. And that's how I started just being involved. And I noticed a difference almost immediately as I got involved. I felt like uplifted because I, whatever that hell on earth I had to go through, it had purpose. And if you can find purpose in the awful things in life, like then you, you have the ability to change the world, even if it's on a small scale, or even if it's mm -hmm. just helping one person, like it gives, it takes whatever that horrible thing is. It doesn't make it okay, but it does make it feel like if I had to go through this and someone else gets something out of it or can learn from it or feel like they're not alone in this, then isn't that kind of what every, like living your life is about, like helping other people and being there for other people. And so I started doing that and few years go by, her and I become very, very close. There was a couple of us warriors that kind of all became very tight, tight knit friends. We went on things called Gen Ventures because that woman was uh, stage four, living her best life, life to the fullest. Uh, we say live like Jen. And uh, eventually she asked me to join the board. And that was a huge honor. And I'm like crying when she told me, absolutely, I'm joining the board. Like, there's no way I'm not going to be part of this. And then our last big trip was last October. We went, or not this last one, I'm sorry, the one before. We went to Miami. She was a huge Dead Mouse fan. I don't know if you know who Dead Mouse is, but <laughs> yeah. Um, we had a three day extravaganza in Miami where we went and saw this person and we actually got into his VIP. It has to do with the German daddy and all this different stuff on Halloween. And I was dressed as a zombie, but long story short, we met him and made her like bucket list dream come true. It was incredible. And January, almost a year ago, a little over now, it was, it was January 14th. She passed away from stage four breast cancer. And that was a huge, huge loss. I've lost people I love before, but there's something a lot more significant to losing someone you love that's had the same disease as you. And that was also she was my wonder woman. She, she's, she still is like, she changed our community. She changed people's lives. And so this nonprofit that I got involved with, with her pink warrior advocates, 
it started with her just sending care kits out across the country, actually. So that part is national. She will send a, she would send care kits with these different cosmetics you can use that are paraben free during chemotherapy, sweet little like uplifting notes. Um, if you had a mastectomy, it w- we would send mastectomy pillows as well as drain bags. So like this just is like super sweet thing to let people know you're not alone and you order this and we send it across the country to Milwaukee or California or wherever. And these people, you know, it may not be, again, there's nothing, once you hear those words cancer, there's nothing we can do. And saying sorry is not going to cut it, but you knowing that you're not alone in it is the biggest thing. It's, it's knowing that, you know, you don't have to go through this by yourself. And that was, that was her thing. Like she was 30, 31 years old, had nobody that understood. And that's why she created it. She never wanted anyone to feel as alone as she did and down as she did. And so that gained momentum. And by the time I had met her, we were already doing financial assistance in our community. So we do, we're like near San Antonio, Austin, New Braunfels, Texas. And then there's like 20 counties outside of us, but we do financial assistance within that. So wow. because of how successful we were last year, we actually give $10,000 a month away to warriors in those communities. We pay, it's not just medical bills, you know, it's lights, it's mortgage. It's if they need food for their families. And we have one of the easiest application processes. Also, as far as like nonprofits go, as of right now, you can still apply every 12 months. Most places it's once in a lifetime. But that was the other big thing. Cancer, especially for stage four, like that's the rest of your life. You know, you might, I still have medical bills. I still have a good job. I still, you know, have good insurance, but I still have debt from almost five years ago now. And cancer isn't something that just once you're done with treatment, it's gone. And you're like, cool, now I can just move forward. At least not for most people. If you can do that, kudos to you. That's amazing. Majority of people can't do that. And so those are kind of the financial aspects of what we do. But the biggest one and my favorite thing is we have this group called TV Thursdays and it's kind of a play off of TGIF. Uh, like, remember when we're, I don't know, I don't know how old you are. I'm not going to ask. That's rude. Um, but <laughs> when I was a kid, they had TGIF like on TV. And so you'd watch like the Urkels and like step-by-step and all those different shows. So I like to call her our founding father of TV Thursday, but Stacy and um, Jen got together and they created this because they're like, Jen had went to this quote unquote support group. She was, again, she was going through a lot of it alone. She's like, all right, I'll muster up the courage to like go to this group. She drives all the way to San Antonio, which is about 45 minutes from us. Literally nobody's there. Nobody. And so it kind of, yeah. And it, it was defeating. And so she, she never wanted to have a support group. So they were like, to hell with that. We're not calling it that it's TV Thursdays. And what it stands for is trust through, uh, trust your vulnerability through breast cancer. And so every month warriors would meet and it didn't matter if you were newly diagnosed or if you were, we have some people that are upwards of 12 years out. Like they come in, we all meet, we talk about real life things. It's not a kumbaya circle where we're all crying and sad about our cancer. It's like, you know, we've, we've covered things as far as how our physical appearance has changed our confidence. And we've done tutorials for eyebrows and eyelashes and wigs. When you're going through treatment, we've talked about how it's changed family dynamics. One of our most popular ones, believe it or not, is sex and intimacy because it changes a lot. A lot of times with breast cancer, you're not just dealing with your breasts being removed and having reconstruction. 
you're dealing with a lot of the, a lot of us have to go on estrogen suppressants or some sort of hormone treatment. And a lot of other women have to go through having full hysterectomies. And we're talking again at 30 something years old. So the ability to have children, the ability to, you know, feel sex drive. And, and then you're still, whether you're married, single, whatever, like it affects you as a person, society has put pressure on women to have, you know, breasts, hair, eyelashes, like eyebrows, like look how we are supposed to look. And all of those things allegedly make us women. But, and I've had a lot of people say that, and it breaks my heart because I feel like if you choose, because that make no mistake, choosing to have a double mastectomy is still a choice. Like you had made a decision because you could say, no doc, Mm -hmm. I don't want to do that. I'm opting out. I don't want to do this treatment. I'm opting out. There are people that Mm -hmm. do. You wanted to survive. You wanted to live your life. And there is nothing more beautiful or feminine or woman than that to me, that you're willing to cut your breasts off and have them basically amputated from your body or have your ovaries removed, something you've had your entire life that quote unquote makes you a woman to live and give your best yourself the best survival rate. And you're a mother or you're a wife or you're a friend or you're a daughter to people like that that's strength to the fullest form. And like, I, I just have so much like love and admiration and I see so much beauty in in the women that go through this because it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter like who you are, where you come from in your life. Like it's, it's a very life altering thing. And again, it, it, it's something that you need to be able to talk about and not feel alone. in. so that group gives us that ability. And now since Jen passed, um, Stacy, she's, she's kind of changed her position in the board. And whenever that happened, Stacy just kind of looked at me. I'd been there since day one for the TV Thursdays and they handed it over to me. So now I'm the person that creates these monthly meetups and we've had upwards of 40 warriors there. We also have co-survivors group that meets the same night. So we're allowed to let them really bring a family member or a friend that's dealing with this as well. Cause they have their own things and they're not able to talk to the warrior about it because they don't want to burden them. And a lot of times it's like, we've even talked about like, we've had things like what not to say to a breast cancer survivor, you know, Oh, you're getting a free boob job or you look really good bald. Yes. People have said that, or again, it's all going to be okay. Those are kind of triggers. And when we're going through it, especially, it's a lot harder to take the emotion out of it. When you get past it, you're, you just realize that people don't know what to say. So they say the best thing that they can in that moment. And so, yeah, I've now, after Jen passed away, I've decided that this is my purpose. And I was asked to be the COO of this nonprofit. And I was scared as shit to take the job because I do have two kiddos and I'm, you know, I'm single tentatively. I have a boyfriend. He's amazing and and super awesome. And I love him very much, but I'm still, you know, at that time I was still the only provider in my family. And I just, everything in my heart told me I had to keep this going. It made an impact in my life. I watched Mm -hmm. it make an impact in so many other people's lives and there's no way in how we could let it stop. So Alora Williams is our CEO and I took over a COO and now we continue the nonprofit and it's going really, really well. And I get to keep one of my best friends and my superhero alive through it. So yeah, that's 
that's my cancer story in a, wow. in a nutshell. <laughs> it's a lot. So, yeah. 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 Sorry. I, I didn't, uh, I, that's, that's what I got. So no, that was great. You really went over everything there. A few things I wanted to go back and talk about. Cause I, I think one thing to think about is kids when they have scars in that area or like what you went through, only one side was growing. Yeah. Like the, the emotions that the kid has to be going through at that time. I mean, that's so So, many raging hormones already, you know, (laughs) we're already hating our bodies without stuff going on and then pack on all that extra stuff on top. It's just kind of a double whammy there. I mean, I know you wound up getting, you wound up getting a boob, but I want to know a little bit more about like before that, how you dealt with it. Yeah. So it, uh, I do remember because kids are cruel and I remember growing up and having my pork scar, it's on my right and it's, it's pretty large. And as I got bigger, it kind of just stretched. Uh, so I had my pork Mm -hmm. scar that was obvious unless I wore a turtleneck, basically you could see it in any shirt that I wore and going into third, fourth grade, especially, I think that's when I noticed really, that's when I started getting bullied a lot. I did get called a lot of names in school. I had, because we were military moved around. And so a lot of times a fresh start was good or depending on what kind of, you know, age demographic you were going into, not not so good. So I went, moved to Colorado and I ended up having a heart murmur or something for just a bit. And it resolved on its own, which also is could, could potentially, we never had it linked, but potentially you can have heart issues post chemo as well. That is an effect that it can have. So it just weakens, it weakens your heart. So I, I went in, I, I had to wear a heart monitor and I remember wearing it to school and I wore this big ass sweater trying to hide it. And I had somebody find out. And I think I told like someone I thought was my friend, because at the time it was this huge cassette that I kind of had to have in my pocket. And Mm -hmm. I told him, Oh, I'm wearing a heart monitor. And so this boy on the bus found out about it. And he was like, he asked me like about it. Oh, you have a heart monitor on. And I said, yeah. And so he started making up a song as like, bum, 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 keep your heart beating. And then I like tried to stand up for myself. I was like, well, it's because I had cancer and they think, And so that was a whole nother. So he started calling me cancer girl. Then everyone started Mm -hmm. calling me cancer girl. And this, I mean, at this point I was like, you know, three or four years out from treatment. Didn't matter because somebody knew. And then uh, the scar, I would have kids just tell me how ugly it was. And I'd have people ask me questions about it. Like, they're like, that's so gross. You should just cover it up. Mm -hmm. And I even started as I got older, I started just making up bullshit about it. Like, Oh, I got attacked by a shark. You should see the shark. Or, you know, I got, I got into a knife fight, you know, just dumb (laughs) things about it because that's just, that's just was my way. I started to feel like, just like when I made fun of like my breasts being different sizes, I realized that if I made fun of myself first, you couldn't say anything to me that could hurt my feelings, which is sad. It's really sad that like you would have to, degrade yourself or make fun of yourself. But I found a balance of doing that. And it still hurt me sometimes. But a lot of times, I realized that if I was wittier than the other person, they couldn't really say anything that could bother me or hurt me. And so as hard as it was, by the time I got into high school, I was picked on that cancer thing was just the part the beginning part. Mm -hmm. And then I sort of became like, 
just like the kid that got picked on from about fourth or fifth grade till seventh grade. And I decided when I was in seventh grade, we changed schools again. And I decided I'm just not going to be not going to care anymore what other people think. That's a really hard thing. Easier said than done. Even as adults, that's hard. But I, I, I truly stopped letting that get to me. I wore my scar proudly. If people asked me about it, I'd tell them why. And a lot of people would actually feel bad after like, I'm so sorry I asked. Mm -hmm. And that's when I, again, I realized that a lot, most people are just genuinely like curious Mm -hmm. and they want to know. And I would much rather have someone ask me about my scars than ever like, just stare. You notice that a lot, like people staring or people wondering or whispering, but not actually asking. Ah. Absolutely. I just had this conversation yesterday with another gal and we, she had the same comment. She's like, I would really rather ask that people ask me about it than stare. And my mom would tell me that when I was little and bald, it was the same thing. People would stare and they'd want to, they didn't know what to say. So they'd whisper. And when I went through it again as an adult, I appreciated the people that just came up to talk to me about it because the last thing you want to do when you know you look different or you know something is going on, just ask and ask politely. But granted, it depends on who you are and where you're at in your treatment because I know that some people don't want to talk about that. Like they just want to escape. They just want to go to the grocery store and buy their milk and not be bothered. But yeah, on the flip side of it, just genuinely most people care when you get outside of like being a kid and they would say, Oh, I'm so sorry. Or I'm sorry. I can't, you know, I'm sorry about that. And I said, don't be like, it's not your fault. I had cancer. I'm okay. I would just say I'm okay. And I'm stronger for it. And like, it's perspective. What didn't always feel stronger for it. I still don't, but I do feel like I don't have a say in it. I don't have a say in it. And now I wear them very proudly. I have more, obviously. I have two massive scars under my breast now. I have another port scar, which is much smaller. Basically, my super perky boobs look like they have uneven eyebrows now with my port <laughs> scars. <laughs> so, but I don't, I don't care. And I honestly gotten to the point where I love my body more now because it brought me through hell and back than mm-hmm. I've ever love my body. And when I was in my twenties and I just had this little port scar and I didn't have all of this, I hated myself. I hated my body. I, women, we are really rough on ourselves. Mm -hmm. And even as a teenager and I was super fit and I hadn't had any children. And so I was very negative and now I just appreciate it. Scars, stretch marks, all of it, because I get one of them and I didn't have a say in all of this stuff. It just happened. And everyone has a story. Everyone has some kind of scar. And a lot of times if they don't have one on the outside, I promise you there's something going on inside of them that they do. And so, you know, it did affect me, but again, I think that I, I used it as a way. I never wanted to be the person that was ugly to others. I, I do ask a lot of questions when I see people. And a lot of times it's because I want them again to know that they don't have to not talk about it that they can and that it's okay or that there's someone that understands something. It may not be, it doesn't have to be cancer. It can be anything. Scars are, scars are a really cool way to start a discussion. And I, I love it. I'm like, Oh yeah, look at this. I'm looking at this and here's this, you know, but, (laughs) but I, I don't think that it, you come through it completely unscathed when you're a kid going through it. Yeah. And no, no matter what though, 
kids that don't have that, other kids find something a lot of times to pick on them about. So that was just my start. That was just something they saw that made me different. Yeah. So did you ever talk to your parents about it? Yeah, I did quite a bit. I feel like with as far as are you talking about like with cancer or getting picked on or getting picked on? I think I'm curious what their thoughts were on how you could handle it or, you know, (laughs) like what they said to comfort you. I feel like and this isn't to knock my parents, but I'm from kind of a different generation. And my dad was special forces military. So like he had three girls, we were his boys and he was basically kind of the suck it up type person. He would give me witty things to say. And I have no doubts that like me being a smart ass now and having that, like that humor that I have that deflects somewhat definitely came from him. But when I was in like fourth grade and fifth grade, that humor goes over kids' heads. So it didn't really help me. And my mom was more empathetic. Obviously, she she felt really bad about it. But they, I kind of just stopped talking about it because I didn't think that even that's that's the dilemma with going through as much as I have is that people always assume you're just strong and you can handle everything. And yeah, you know, I might be, but when you're a kid, especially, you don't feel that even as an adult, you don't feel that. So I didn't, I talked about it on and off, but then when it changed from cancer to something else, I just realized that like it, no matter what, it just felt like I was going to get picked on. And at some point I, my parents couldn't do a lot about it. I had to advocate for myself and defend myself. And, and it took me a while to figure out how to do that, but yeah, they didn't, they didn't necessarily give me any any uh, golden nuggets. I think that the biggest thing that my dad told me, which is kind of what I had to embrace was who cares what these people think sort of thing. And I didn't, I did, I cared. (laughs) I I cared a lot, but I, I didn't ever really feel like, like I said, as I grew up, I just realized that I had to stop worrying about that part and just be who I was. And if people didn't like it, oh, well, and if they did, great. But, and as a parent now, I, I, again, I've seen my kiddo get picked on about things and she doesn't have a scar, you know, she doesn't have the health issues I've had, but there are people that I do worry about that because kids are cruel. And I think someone did bring it up once that I had cancer and I'm like, Oh God, like, please don't let that be something that affects her. And I do try, I've learned from them. Like they are very supportive in a lot of different ways. My dad being so tough and So like, you can do it. It's fine. You got this. You know, he made me truly, he made me be able to survive anything. Evidently I'm kind of hard to kill. So I, (laughs) I appreciate that now as a kid, didn't understand it as much. And, but I also learned from it. And with my kids, I do try to find the way that works for them. Like my kiddo is not me. They're not going to handle it like me. They're not, they haven't had the life experience I've had. So just trying to get on that level now it's taught me even the things that maybe weren't handled in the best way, or you didn't think, you know, work I learned from, and I want to kind of change, but there are some things that both of my parents did really well that I try to hang on to. So, yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. I think that was, I mean, I feel like we really kind of covered a lot. (laughs) Yeah. Sorry. I talk a lot. (laughs) No, it's fine. Is there anything that you're still dealing with like to this day or have you just been, 
free and clear the last couple of years? Such a funny question. So statistically speaking, Mm -hmm. which I don't like them in general, because when you go in and you have this or that, that's all doctors and medical people throw at you. And you're like, I'm a human being. So stop putting me in a category. Yeah. But there are two that are really important. Specifically with this breast cancer situation, one in eight people is diagnosed in a lifetime, right? That's a, that's a significant amount. Once you are diagnosed, you have a one in three chance of it returning and metastasizing. So I don't ever feel like I'm clear of cancer, if that makes sense. Yeah. I almost, I read this analogy once about having someone standing behind you with a gun pressed against your head and you don't know if the gun has bullets in it or not. You don't know if that person's going to pull the trigger or not. You just have to live your life and basically pretend they're not there, hoping it never goes off or maybe one day it will. And whenever I read that, I, I was like, this is I there's nothing better that could describe this. Like you have to live with that gun pressed to the back of your head the rest of your life. But I get to decide every day how I live my life. And especially after meeting the people that I've met through this, Jen specifically, I'm not going to live my life in fear. I refuse. It already has gotten, it took what it took for me. And it also gave me a lot. I've gained so many things from this perspective is a huge thing. Perspective on life, the things that are important, those things are beautiful. I, I do have fears obviously. And there's sometimes it's overwhelming. Some days I'm, I can't pretend that when I go get a scan now, I've never been afraid of doctors. I've never been afraid to go into the hospital ever since re-diagnosis. Mm. I legitimately get scanxiety is what we call it, but I go into an MRI and I have mental breakdown. Like I cry and, and get anxious and I'm not typically an anxious person. So it's very foreign to me and I hate it. I hate that. But once I have my breakdown, I, I give myself the space to do that now before I would just try to power through it and be okay. But I don't have to be okay with this. Like it isn't fair. And that I guess is the biggest takeaway too, is like, When things like this happen, we have a tendency as human beings to think that we did something to deserve it and or it's our fault or maybe we're not good people or it's a punishment. And that goes for anything bad that happens in your life. And you need to know that this isn't that isn't a punishment like it's just life and it's not fair and you're right and you don't get a say in it. So if you let go of the control of the things. Cause at the end of the day with the scans or with cancer coming back, I get no say in that. It just happens or it doesn't. Right. I let go of all of that. What can I control today? I can control that I get up and that I decide to be happy and that I go have lunch with my friends or I'm on a podcast or, you know, (laughs) and I, I get to choose all those things, what I wear, how I act, the people that I surround myself with. And that is what I focus on versus my cancer could come back or any of that. I obviously have the fear of my kids possibly having cancer now one day because I had it. And again, that is like, want to talk about worst fears that that definitely is there. Me dying on my kids is a huge one. (laughs) And then me having kids that have cancer is another or any huge disease is another one. But I try not to live in that for very long either. And then I actually I actually thought that I wasn't going to be able to have any more children because the chemo the second time around a lot mm-hmm. of times will make you infertile. And at, at the time, they gave me an option between 
harvesting your eggs, which is expensive, or just deciding to go through the treatment without any backup plan. And I was, again, divorced. So I was like, fine, let's just do that. I don't have the money or the time to worry about this. And so then when I met this amazing guy, I basically told him up front, like, I'm not going to have more kids. I don't even think that I can and all of these things. And I ended up actually getting pregnant in October or September of this last year. And unfortunately I had a miscarriage and I saw it. This must be because of treatment. This, you know, I, I went back to it. And then I also simultaneously felt a lot of guilt for even feeling bad because there are so many women that I meet that can't have children that have all these different issues. And I have two healthy children and I'm like sitting here feeling bad for myself, which again is silly. Like when you step out of it, like it's just another experience and it's just something that happens. And I was, I was like, well, maybe it's just not meant to be. And I literally got pregnant again right after. And now we're in our second trimester and I have a little bit of anxiety, but mostly I'm just grateful. And I decided with this one, like, I've just got to be happy. I'm in a really healthy relationship with this amazing person. I've been blessed again. And I, I want to, I want to embrace this because there's people that don't get to experience this. And like, I need to just be happy about it and not worry about all these other things that could happen that I can't control again. So yeah, it's there. It's always going to be there, but I want to live my life because I get one of them and I'm going to live it to the best that I can. And I'm going to try and experience everything that I can and all the bad things that have happened up to this point, childhood cancer, loss, grief, scars, surgeries, all of it have prepared me for harder things that I never thought I'd have to go through. And I've come out on the other side, still a better person for it. Doesn't have to be fair, but I'm really, really happy. And I'm grateful for where I am. Beautiful. Yeah. (sighs) So. Well, anyway, congratulations. (laughs) Well, thank you very much. Thank you very much. That's pretty incredible that you've been able to have kids and everything seems to be working okay. I know one of my aunts, she had breast cancer. Well, she had Hodgkin's when she was a teenager. And then she's had breast cancer, I think, three times since then. Oh, my gosh. um, She, yeah, went through menopause at like 18 because of all of the radiation and chemo. So, yeah, she always wanted kids, too. So you're very lucky and so blessed. And I think it's wonderful that you can see that and enjoy it. Well, and for those people like that, that are given that shitty hand, you know, like there are just just because you have your life like pictured the way that you think it should be Mm -hmm. a lot of times it can still happen you just have to change the route in which you take and I think that that's the that's the beauty of like again just you embracing what you've been through and continuing to move forward you know I've I've met I've had a lot of friends where it really broke them down to not be able to have children Mm -hmm. but then there's others that are like you know what like I like traveling and or we want to adopt or we want to bless you know a child that doesn't have a, a family with one you know or all of these different things. So that doesn't mean your dream is dead. It's just right. how you, you got to dream it up a different way sometimes. And so I, 
And I have, again, a lot of respect for those women that, that do that and go through that and try again and again to, to conceive and, and different things like that takes a lot of, a lot of strength. And, but I also know, like you said, that I'm extremely blessed in, in the situation that I have been in because I uh, can honestly say this is a, sh- I was shocked. I was like, no way, like that's not, no, no way. So, but yeah, so I'm, I'm very, again, very happy about it. Good. Hey. Well, I think that's it for questions on my end. Okay. Do you, did you have anything else that you wanted to say or share or I, I think stories? I, I, think I, I think I'm good. I don't, I don't, uh, yeah, no, I think I'm okay. I appreciate you taking the time to, to talk to a random, random woman in Texas. Yeah, no, this has been great. So do you have, do you, how often do you release your podcast? Uh, once a week. Okay. Yeah. Okay, every, okay. every Monday. Got you. Well, I need to go on there. Cheyenne told me about it and then I didn't look it up yet. Cause I haven't had time. And I was like, I actually should listen to it and see like, <laughs> you know, how cool it is. I'm sure it's really cool. Aww, it's back. So it's well, gotta be. Her episode comes out next week. So perfect. well then that's a perfect time for me to listen. There you go. Awesome. And did you yeah. know her before or did you just no. randomly like me? No? no. Yeah. How did y'all get in touch? The head of the Association for Bladder Extrophy uh-huh. knew her somehow or like reached out to her and told her about my podcast. And then she emailed me and we just kind of went from there. Yeah. That is so cool. Yeah. And then of course I got you from her. So yeah, it's been really cool being able to meet so many people. Yeah. That's, that's very awesome. Well, you keep doing what you're doing, ma'am. Thank you. Well, thank you for coming on too and sharing everything. Yeah, of course. Well, I think again, thank you for having me and I hope that you have a wonderful day. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of Body Talk with Bex. If you enjoyed it, please leave me a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to podcasts at. And don't forget to hit the subscribe button. Also consider becoming a patron on patreon.com. As a reminder, I did just update all of the tiers, so you're getting a few new things each month. And if you would like to share your story or know someone who does, I can be contacted through my website, www.bodytalkwithbex.com or on social media. Thank you so much for listening.